Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is Soledad Ursua. She's a Los Angeles resident. She works in finance and she serves on the Venice Neighborhood Council. She's written a number of excellent pieces for City Journal and her work has been featured in several uh, additional outlets, including the LA Times, the American Mind, Fox News, and uh, a variety of Los Angeles area publications. Today, we're going to discuss her essay, Victimhood Forever, which appears in our special California issue and details California's efforts to provide reparations to black residents. So, Soledad, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So, you know, two years ago, California Governor Gavin Newsom set up uh, the Reparations Task Force, which was charged with developing a proposal to compensate um, the state's black residents for the injustice of slavery. And late last year, the task force released a preliminary report on its findings. You know, as you note in your piece, uh, there's a lot problematic with this. So, so why don't you describe a bit where things stand with the task force and, you know, what, why you don't think this is such a great idea? The initial reparations task force report uh, has projected that descendants from slaves could earn as much as 223000 in compensation for past injustice. And the projected total cost to California taxpayers, it could reach about $569 billion. And that's almost two and a half times the state's current budget. We do not have the final numbers. The final numbers should come out in June 2023. And the monetary payouts could be bigger because we're also looking at other areas such as mass incarceration, forced sterilization, and devaluation of black business. So we're still not quite sure what the total number will be. You also see at the same time that San Francisco has gone ahead with its own reparations um, recommendations. So the city of San Francisco is recommending it's a $5 million payout to every eligible black adult the elimination of personal debt and tax burdens, a guaranteed annual income of $97,000 for 250 years, and the ability to purchase homes in San Francisco for just $1 a family. So what we see here is you have the state report going through, and we also have San Francisco City. This just seems preposterous on the face of it from the standpoint of the state budget. You know, what's the likelihood of the state passing something to the tune of more than a half trillion dollars, which, as you note, is more than double the state's uh, current budget? It will be a tough sell, mostly because California is facing a $23 billion uh, budget deficit this year. And the city of San Francisco is also facing a deficit of over $700 million. So, so some of this just seems symbolic. But there, there is a philosophical problem beyond that uh, that goes beyond even the proposals for reparations in, in other places where slavery was uh, a significant historical reality. But California, as you know, wasn't a slave state, right? That's right. So California entered into the Union in 1850 after being acquired from Mexico. And Mexico had banned slavery in 1837. So what we see happening in California is that modern progressives are stretching the notions of reparations and they're rewriting history to fit their aggressive agenda. Now, the task force focuses solely on uh, black Californians. Yet, as you note in your essay, several other racial minority groups have suffered from discriminatory policies 
throughout California history. You know, for instance, you know, Mexican-Americans, up to two million of them, many of them, if if not even half, I think, were, were U.S. citizens. They were deported to Mexico on the argument that they were responsible for the poverty of the Great Depression or they were aggravating the poverty of the Great Depression. And soon after, uh, of course, more than 100,000 Japanese Americans were forced from their homes and confined to internment camps during World War II. So you know, both Latinos and Asians are a bigger percentage of California's population than blacks are um, and would seem to have at least comparable claims to reparations if we start going down this route, right? That's correct. And slavery was distinctive to black Americans. But what, without a link to slavery in California, what the task force did was they looked at housing discrimination during a certain period. But you could make the argument that housing discrimination, um, every immigrant group, including Jews, have faced discrimination during that same time period. Now, what about the um, um, attitudes toward this in California? How much support does this idea have among California residents? Well, a recent poll indicated that about 30% of all Americans support financial reparations. But what we see is that it's heavily divided along racial lines. 77% of Black adults approve of this, uh, but only 18% of whites, 39% of Hispanics, and 33% of Asians agree. So we see that it also skews heavily by political affiliation. Those who lean Democrat are pretty evenly spit, split, with 49 in, um, in favor and 48% in opposition. Uh, but 91% of voters who lean Republican are opposed to this concept. It's, it's often the case that what gets cooked up in California soon spreads to other parts of the country. Also the case with reparations, right? There are, there are other states that are starting to develop similar plans. So that's why I, I think not just Californians need to be uh, concerned about this development and paying attention to it. That's right. Um, states such as Maryland, New Jersey, New York, and Oregon have tried to introduce proposals, uh, but only California has advanced this. And, you know, what we see here is that the timing is, you know, quite beneficial for Democrats. Um, you know, Democrats have very few policy issues to run on in 2024. We have an unstable economy, an open border crisis, and in major cities, you're dealing with spiraling crime. So perhaps the concept of financial reparations will become a 2024 top of ticket issue for the Democratic Party. Interesting. Now, uh, as, as you analyze in your essay, the task force report does point out some real issues. Um, you know, perhaps the most important is what's happening with black kids in public schools in California. Uh, what, could, you, could you respond a bit to that argument as you develop it in the piece? This, the report calls out the state's failing public education system. And this is a real civil rights issue that deserves far greater outreach. When we look at reading, 77% of black kids and 64% of Hispanic kids do not meet state reading standards. And it's worse when it comes to math. 84% of black children and 79% of Hispanic children do not meet state math standards. So this is, this is something that is a real civil rights issue. And what many of the critics say is that California just needs more money. But money is not the answer because California spends nearly 16,000 per student and we rank 19 out of 50 states in terms of spending 
But educationally, we rank 44th out of 50th academically. So this is a real failure here. And, you know, without education, there is no future for minority children. Education is destiny and it's your ticket out of the hood. Yeah. Now, what, you know, what does the reparations task force say about um, improving academic performance among minorities in California? Is it just throw more money at it or do they they have a, a more nuanced argument? Currently in California, where you live determines where you go to school. So this is a form of redlining by your zip code. So poor kids end up going to failing schools. So what the task force is calling for is, you know, poorest school district boundaries, which so it allows you to be able to go to different schools, interdistrict transfers. And these recommendations would perhaps make the biggest impact on not just black children, but all minority children in California. And this is a step that could be done immediately without any reparations needed. And what we find is that minorities often support school choice. And so, you know, one thing that Governor Newsom could do immediately is overhaul the schools. If he wanted to better the lives of non-white children, he could support opportunity scholarships, vouchers, charter schools, so there's a lot that he can do without going down this route of financial reparations. And so the, the report's due in June, right? That's correct. We'll find the, the final numbers. Yeah, it'll be, be interesting to see what kind of response it gets and uh, where it goes from there. Uh, you know, another another um, area you've covered for City Journal and written quite, quite a bit about this has been uh, the homelessness problem in your own backyard in Venice. Um, I re- recently, as you know, was out in, in LA and uh, uh, spent some time in Venice. And it was the first time I'd been out there since uh, the beginning of the pandemic. And I, I have to say, um, the parts of Venice I, I went to seemed a little, you know, better when it came to homelessness than they did um, when I was last out there. So I, I, you know, I wonder what your take is as someone who's seeing this on a daily basis uh, and what's, you know, what's the state of play? Well, in Venice Beach, we elected a new council member, someone who is much more moderate. Our prior council member was a progressive who believed that the homeless, you know, that they had anywhere, they had the right to camp anywhere. He did not believe in private property. So with this new election, we've had a moderate Democrat who's worked very well with our Mayor Karen Bass. But what they've done is they've used state housing vouchers to put people up temporarily in hotels. So it's not really solving the problem. We've pushed it off into a different area. But that's something that we see all the time where people go into housing, they fall out of housing, back on the street. So it's this cycle that will continually perpetuate until real action is taken. And, and you know, what, what's the general um, approach long term to this, uh, you know, per- persistent problem? It's not like you can snap your fingers and solve it in, in a place like L.A. Or, or San Francisco, where, you know, it's a lot easier to live outside uh, for homeless people. But um, what, you know, what kind of creative proposals are circulating, if any? There really isn't any because the underlying problem here is that the state is looking at this as a housing crisis. This is not a housing crisis. It is a crisis of drug addiction and mental illness. And so the state keeps moving forward, uh, just pushing housing, and that will never solve the problem. 
Right. Okay. Well, well, thank you very much, Soledad. Don't forget to check out Soledad Rousseau's work on the City Journal website. That's at www.city-journal.org. Uh, we'll link to her author page in the description, and you can also find her on Twitter, at Soledad Ursua. Uh, you can also find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. Um, as usual, I, I say that if you uh, like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Soledad, great to talk with you, and thanks very much for coming on 10 Blocks. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.